Hi, I'm Diane Hullett with the Best Life, Best Death podcast. And I'm here today once again with special guest Johanna Lunn of the When You Die Project. And uh, today, uh, you know, last time we spoke, Johanna and I talked about um, the When You Die Project and kind of the philosophy behind that and some of the projects that have come out of that. Um, really excited to have her again talking with me. And we're going to talk today about the film In the Realm of Death and Dreaming. Hi. Hey, welcome. I'm so happy to be here again. Um, maybe, maybe let's just um, start with that kind of overview again. Tell us again about the When You Die Project and how that film connects. Sure. The When You Die Project grew out of researching uh, in the Realm of Death and Dreaming, which is the, the first of several documentaries that will be coming out. There was so much research around end of life. There was so much material that wasn't getting out there. And that was just so, so helpful that I just thought we've got to put this on, the, on a website. You know, so we, we built a website and started just loading it with all of the, I mean, I had hundreds of pages of source material that we just started translating onto the web. So it really got started because of the work I was doing on a documentary. And I thought, oh, I'm just gonna make a single documentary, down and dirty, just take a couple of years, we'll be all done with this project and move on. Not the case. I, who knew that end of life could be so rich and full of material and the need that we have for understanding our own end of life is huge. It's huge. It, it always seems to me like we've, we've forgotten, you know, it isn't, nothing is being reinvented new, but it's like, we've forgotten. I think long ago, people lived so closely with birth and death and now it's, it's, you know, it, it left the home and then we began to forget. I love that though. My, um, one of my mottos, I always joke is how hard could it be? H-H-I-C-B. So um, yeah, I think maybe you follow that too. How hard could it be? I'm going to make a one movie documentary about death. Piece of cake. <laughs> well, a lot of documentaries aren't that hard. You know, I, it's just this one happens to have so much. So, you know, much. so much. How are you, how in your mind this, this, so this went from the idea of I'm making one movie to wait, I think I'm making four movies how did you decide um, sort of what, what are the subjects of the four or whatever? Maybe some are still in a rough stage, but how do you kind of, mm -hmm. how do those roll out? Well, In the Realm of Death and Dreaming is really about what happens when we die. Does consciousness continue? So it, it's, I, I like to say we begin at the end. If, if you don't have some relationship with what you believe happens when you die, then it's very difficult to make decisions about what you want at end of life, how you're cared for, um, how you're, you know, how you die, where you want to die, who you want around you, all of those things really come first from a place of, well, what do you think is, is going on? Where do you go? So you would think, oh, well, that's an easy subject. No, like, what does science have to say about it? What kinds of experiences can we point to that might give us some information about what happens with when you die. So that's the, the first one. Does consciousness continue? Um, the second one is called saying goodbye. And that's really about, um, uh, I guess you could say letting go. 
it's, 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 you're in the dying process. You know, you've got a diagnosis and you're in the dying process, not the super active end, end of life, but you're, you're, you're beginning to die. And so this is a time of what, what happens? Well, we start putting our things in order. We have relationships that, that need to be healed. This is actually some uh, hospice doctors refer to this as, as a time for healing. If you're open to it, this is an immensely um, uh, potent time to heal a lot of things in your life. So there's a lot of how the family constellation changes as dying progresses. So that's saying goodbye. The third one is the architecture of death. And that really looks at what's happening in the mind and body as you're actively dying. You know, what are the signs and marks of the death process? And then the fourth one isn't named and uh, not, I, it, it, generally speaking, it's about what remains behind us, you know, after our loved ones have passed and the, and the grief journey. Wow. These sound so powerful and, and such, um, such fantastic additions to kind of the, I almost come on, I call it like the canon of death films or something, you know, the, the canon of um, what's out there for people to take in information and learn. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, in the realm of death and dreaming, um, what I love about it, I've seen it a few times and I love the way that it really is this intersection of science and faith on some level. It's, it's really mostly scientists who are speaking um, as well as people talking about their near-death experiences. Is that, is that accurate? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're medical people who, have, who work with people at end of life. So they're not, I don't think they would call themselves scientists, but they all do research work in one way or another. You know, we have um, a clinical nurse uh, whose uh, dissertation or PhD dissertation was on near-death experiences, but she has been in the field working as a nurse in end of life for, you know, all of her career. So yeah, they, they're all researchers in some sense, but they're all people who have dedicated their, their lives to looking at um, and working in end of life issues. And we do have uh, one story in particular, um, she isn't a researcher, she had a near-death experience, but we have another near-death experience story from a hospice chaplain. What, were there surprises for you in the film? <laughs> well, you know, I was just curious. I was just curious. So everything was kind of delightful to me in a way, every aspect of working on this film and talking to these people. I mean, this is an extraordinary group of people. And so I don't know about surprises, but there were certainly like doors opening in my mind all the time, like going, oh, oh, look at that. What's over there? Oh, oh, what's over there? Um, the near death. I mean, I think that um, near death is kind of what I call the sexy side of death and dying. Right. Because it, it's it, it's amazing that people have these experiences. The majority of them are very positive experiences. Um, they clinically die. Um, they might meet um, dead relatives or spiritual leaders or, you know, have a host of experiences that are very, very loving in nature, extraordinarily loving. You know, they truly go into, you know, um, a, a non-ordinary state of consciousness that is um, 
very loving. So, I mean, these are stories that some of us have heard little bits about and you go, those are interesting. Those are fun. Those are, you know, um, uh, extraordinary. They are extraordinary stories. So, so I kind of knew a little bit about that, but I learned so much more because, I mean, there's what's in the film and then there are all the people that I met that didn't make it into the film. And that was equally fascinating as well. And then on the harder science end of it, um, uh, it was really fun to learn from people like Dean Radin at the Noetic Institute um, you know, well, what does he think happens? And he had, you know, his list of three, it kept changing. Well, there's three, four, four possibilities of things that could happen. And so every, every step of the way was, um, was really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. I know, you know, um, you talk about it being extraordinary and I think that's so true. And at the same time, I find it fascinating how somewhat ordinary it is. I mean, we simply don't talk about it, but when you start talking to people, almost everyone has had a direct experience or sat at the bedside or heard about an experience within their family or friends of some of these kind of powerful things. And end of life doulas, death doulas talk about near death experiences and NDEs, right? And, and also about near death awareness, this idea of NDAs. And I think that near death awareness is the, that what a lot of lay people have experience with, and certainly people in the medical community who um, work with end of life um, care. So mm -hmm. that's fascinating to me that, that it is actually more common than we think and again, we've just sort of lost our connection with it and we don't quite know how to talk about it. Yeah, well, and I think it's been the kind of um, a subject that was rather taboo for quite a while, um, that, that it might be that um, your, your dear aunt Leslie um, was talking to dead relatives on her deathbed, you know, like 80% or more of us will have this experience and uh, but then you just, you know, you think, oh, she's just crazy because, you know, we don't talk about it. You don't hear about it. It's not in the popular world. It's not a, um, a water cooler kind of conversation. So because we haven't publicly been talking about these stories, we think there's something wrong. You know, it's dementia. Oh, you're not really talking to so-and-so. You're not validating that person's experience. And I think this was something that was really important to me as I was learning about these kinds of experiences is that if you are a caretaker, whether you believe that your aunt is having talking to a dead relative or not, you should validate their experience because it's incredibly helpful to them as they're dying because it lowers their anxiety, um, pumps up endorphins, it makes the passage easier. So in a way, this is one of those aspects of dying that the body knows how to die, you know, but um, the main, the mind doesn't, you know, because we haven't trained it to know anything about death. Right. And so as caregivers, we can support people by um, just gently being with their experience, whatever that experience is. That's right. We don't, we, Valid we validating kind of is so important. Yeah, we don't have to jump into our logical mind. And I do think, um, you know, that dementia and confusion from drugs looks different than these experiences. These experiences have a level of lucidity and awareness to them. 
also the the thing the thing that's fascinating that people often have you know they speak in a metaphor of needing to buy a train ticket or taking a journey or we're planning a fishing trip or you know some sense of journey is is really beautiful that that seems to be in the human uh consciousness that's speaking towards the end of life yeah that's right that's right you know that shift has really started to happen when a person starts speaking that way, they know. And Dr. Chasson, Amri Chasson, um, who is a, was a hospice doctor for many years. She is an integrative medicine doctor at the University of Arizona. Um, she speaks quite eloquently, well, a little bit here and in the realm, but even more for saying goodbye um, around this idea of um, that, that not only does a person who's dying, their language change, But the family, you know, and those closest to the person dying, they actually know as well. If you, again, sort of are able to touch in with yourself and get out of the family politic, you know, there's a knowing it's coming. It's really happening. You know, she's going to pass, you know, and instead of the pushing away and the fighting, you know, that that is a a real problem, I think, that that because we aren't death literate. You know, a lot of um, it's very easy to fall back on a lot of the politics of family and miss this opportunity that's really potent and beautiful and healing. Yeah, I think it's transformative both for the dying person and for the living. And it's transformative whether you're present or, you know, on a plane on your way getting there or in a completely different part of the country. It it is transforming. So how do we lean into that? You know, how do we not shy away from it and deny it? I I love this, this, um, you know, idea so beautifully stated by you and others that dying is not a medical event. Mm -hmm. I think that's really hard to get through our um, current psyches with how we sort of have experienced some deaths. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been, things are slowly changing in the medical community because it's very, very difficult for doctors when their patient has a a terminal diagnosis and they are trained to heal, to save them, to save a life. And so often we can go down this hole of more and more piling on medical interventions to prolong life, but not sort of miss the quality of life issue. And, you know, traditionally, really, doctors spend about an hour talking about death in all the years and years and years of training that they get. So medical institutions like Mayo and other big clinics and so on are doing a lot to retrain their doctors internally. And I know medical schools are trying to change around this but it's a huge relief, I think, for doctors who it's very stressful for them, you know, very to recognize if we can reclaim death and, and say, you know, I've got my medical directives. I know how far I'm willing to go down that road, you know, and, and it eases off what they can do and they can start learning about how do we assist and support, you know, which is what palliative care is. It, palliative care is often confused. People think palliative care is just end of life care. It's not, it's pain management. You don't have to be dying to have palliative care. So it's not a scary word. It's actually a really good word. It means you're gonna prevent me from a lot of suffering 
I want a palliative team, you know, to help me. I think that's a terrific word to put out um, to, to spread that word of palliative. Cause I, I do, I find people find that they, they think that that means the end. And I think if we can reframe that as quality of life and pain management, that's a real difference. And most families that I've talked with, you know, they only wish they'd called a palliative care person or hospice sooner because you, most hospices, as I understand it, you can go into hospice and if things truly turned around for you, you can back out of hospice. Yeah, that happens. But many people live longer with that kind of care um, because it's supporting quality of life in a good way and bringing the family into a dialogue that yeah. um, needs to happen, ideally not in the last two days, you know? Right. That's Beautiful. really true. Yeah, they have the, um, the hospice effect which when you enter a hospice, then you're taking off all of the medications and things, you know, and just the only things you receive are to help with pain, to, to, to ease you. And if you're not experiencing fluid overload and um, all of these medications that conflict with one another, people actually feel better. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there is that kind of real quality of life improvement that, that does happen, which gives them the energy to, to do the healing work. The movie also touches on, in the realm of death and dreaming, touches on the research being done around psilocybin and other psychedelic drugs at the end of life. Did, do you have any more to say about that? I thought that was a fascinating part of the film. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Fortunately, there are movies being made around that subject because that could have been a whole film in and of itself. Um, the, the, the work with psilocybin and other um, uh, medications that, that bring a non-ordinary um, consciousness to our being, um, they address depression, deep depression. They address um, uh, existential fear. And this is the big one for end of life. People that are so terrified at the thought of death that they experience physical pain that cannot be controlled with medication. And, uh, you know, I have a relative who was fortunate enough. She had this deep, deep fear and she was fortunate enough to go through, um, what they call the trip treatment. Um, and it's a, it's a, um, psychologically supported um, uh, work that includes one psilocybin experience, or they also do it with ketamine. Um, and, but there's a lot of uh, therapy that goes on before that happens. When a person is, is on psilocybin, they're in a kind of living room kind of environment with music. There are people there to support them if they need it. Otherwise, they are free to have, you know, whatever experience it is that they're going to have. And these often are almost exclusively um, transcendent experiences. And uh, people will go through these experiences, you know, they'll see the universe unfolding, they'll see, you know, they'll have all kinds of extraordinary heightened um, experiences of beauty and love and support, not unlike a near-death experience. And uh, when they come out from the other end, they'll say, well, I, I still, you know, don't know what happens when I die, but I'm not afraid of it anymore. And their pain is gone and they're able to be at peace with the fact that they are going to die. Incredible. And that's, that's an incredible, incredible gift. You know, 
you think there's a pharmacopoeia of stuff out there trying to deal with anxiety and deep depression and you know, psilocybin and other drugs like that are used in addiction and a whole host of things that we have no sort of kit bag for. Yeah, incredible. I think the promise of these is so incredible. And it seems like they really are at the research phase. Um, I've heard, you know, alcoholism, I think we said, and um, trauma, you know, just a huge, and, and what we're talking about, what you mentioned at the beginning was this idea of how is that time for families and the dying person about, um, uh, what was the word we used, you used in talking about your second film, what kind of this like releasing and this coming together and this healing, Mm -hmm. the healing time, the healing time. So how incredible that there could be this additional piece that really is a, a shift for people in the most extreme distress. That's right. That's right. It's, it's very, very promising work. And I guess the one thing too, that I thought was very interesting because I didn't know a whole lot about this um, is that we have receptors in our brains, in our bodies for these types of drugs. So, and, and not only that, our, our, we produce similar psychoactive drugs within our body. We already have the ability to do that, which is why you know, we have peak experiences, you know, you might be a runner, you might, you know, it might happen in, in any number of ways through meditation, through athletics, through, um, so we can already produce those things. And we have this natural ability, you know, to receive a drug like this in a healing way, because it's not foreign to our body. That was so fascinating to me. Incredible. Well, in the same way that I think we're um, working as a culture to reclaim end of life and reclaim death, then maybe there is this reclaiming of some of these ancient plant medicines and who knows yes. where that's going to go. Yeah. Oh yeah. We could, have, like I said, we could have a whole conversation about that. <laughs> That'll be our third podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And your next movie. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I've been talking today with Johanna Lund. She is the, um, one of the founders of the, when you die project, You can learn more about that at whenyoudie.org. Also, she's um, the director and producer of a documentary film series. The first one is called In the Realm of Death and Dreaming. That is already out and available on the whenyoudie.org website for a small rental. And um, sounds like next films number two and number three are on their way. That's right. And number four is percolating. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. This has been Diane and I'm with the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Thanks for listening.